together now at John chapter 2, verses 12 to 25. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. And the Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove that your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Our Heavenly Father, as you speak to us by your word, We pray that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts to hear with faith. Not the kind of faith that we see here where people see and believe, but the kind of faith where we simply hear and receive the good news of your word. Plant it deep in us. That our lives would show our faith. That our lives would show a good work of grace every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question to begin this morning. Are you zealous for the worship of God? Are you zealous for the worship of God? And you might say, well, what does that word zealous mean? I don't hear that very much. Is another way of saying passionate. Are you passionate for the worship of God? Because we are passionate about all kinds of things, right? Some of us are passionate about our Tar Heels. Right? Some of us are passionate about our sports teams. We are zealous for our family time together. You may be zealous for your career, for your job. You're zealous for your recreation time or your leisure time. You're zealous for politics. Passionate about your particular party or the guy that you like. We're zealous for a lot of things. But are we zealous for the worship of God? And if you say, well, yes, I'm zealous for the worship of God. I'm zealous for God's worship. Then we have to ask some other questions. We have to ask, are we we zealous for the worship of God? Or are we zealous for worshiping God the way we decide is best? The way we think is the way to do it. It Maybe coming to worship in order to get a certain feeling in order to get your, your feelings stirred up. It may be a certain music style that you prefer and you are 
zealous for that style. It may be a style of preaching that you're used to or that you like, and you are passionate about that style of preaching. Or maybe you're zealous about worship being convenient for you. What I mean is we need to consider not only what we think about God's worship, but also our motives of coming into worship. What we see in our text today, and all throughout Scripture really, is that God is zealous about pure worship. Pure worship. The way He has designed it. The way He has decided. And here we see Jesus is zealous for worship. Jesus is zealous. He is passionate that God be worshipped above all else. With a pure worship. Not with a tainted, corrupted Dirty, divided worship. Jesus is zealous that you and I would worship Him alone and all the other idols of our lives would be cast down. That all the other things that we're zealous about would just pale in comparison to our zeal for worshiping God alone and focusing on Him in worship. All throughout the Scriptures we see that God is passionate about His worship. That He is zealous. For His people to worship Him. The prophets proclaim, tear down the idols, get rid of these things. They displease God. From time to time, the temple of the Old Testament would begin to have corrupted elements in its worship. It would become less a house of prayer, less a house of worship. Jesus, uh, the Old Testament says, it has become a house of robbers. A den of robbers. People who offer mixed, impure worship to God. And here we see that Jesus is zealous for the pure worship of His Father. The situation is, after this wedding in Cana, where Jesus performs this miraculous sign of turning water into wine, it shows the old has gone and the new has come. Jesus is here to change things. He's here to bring new life. He's here to turn our shame into joy. And then after this, his family goes down to Capernaum and Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to the temple. It was almost time for the Jewish Passover. And of course you remember the Jewish Passover was when the Jewish people celebrated this great work of God in the Old Testament. When God rescued His people from Egypt by bringing down plagues upon the people of Egypt. That last plague was the plague of death. And God told His people, what you need to do, if you don't want your firstborn to die in this plague, you need to take a lamb and slaughter it and smear the blood over the doorposts. And then the angel of death will, will pass over. You hear the word Passover. The angel of death will pass over and not harm anyone who is inside. And the Jews would come together in Jerusalem. Specifically in Jerusalem, there was a requirement that that religious Jews, that Jews would make the journey to Jerusalem to worship and to sacrifice. And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He comes to the temple, the place of worship. And what is it that Jesus sees when He comes to the temple? He sees transactions, cold transactions. He sees a business. He sees not a temple, but merchandise. He sees a marketplace. He sees a business. And notice what Jesus does. He 
makes a whip out of cords. This is not Jesus meek and mild that we're used to thinking about, right? This is Jesus holding a whip, driving out animals, driving out people. Did you see what he did to the coins? He takes their coin jars and he pours out the coins. He dumps over the tables. He is angry, right? It's not that he's lost control. It's not a fit of anger. It's not a temper tantrum that he throws. No, he, this is controlled, righteous anger. He takes time to make a whip. That's how controlled it is. Why? What, what has gotten into you, Jesus? Why are you doing this? This is not the way we like to think of Jesus. And in verse 17, we, we see why. His disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. Another version, your version might say, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house, his father's house, had consumed him. And he is a quote from Psalm 69 verse 9 where the psalmist is crying out to God for help because he is passionate about the worship of God and it causes conflict. Because others are not. So even here, Jesus, by quoting, by, by pointing, John pointing to this scripture, shows the conflict that is even now beginning to happen between Jesus and those who are the religious people in power. Jesus is zealous for his father's house, but the people have turned it into a business. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16 Get these out of here, stop it. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Other versions say into a house of trade, into a house of merchandise. Stop turning my father's house into a business. He was angry because what was meant to be a time and a place of worship had turned into a time of trade. Why were were they doing that, that then? Why were they... Why were animals in the temple area? Why were people exchanging money in the temple area? Well, some have pointed out, and I think they're right, the problem was not what they were doing so much as where they were doing it. They were doing it in the area that was specifically given for the Gentile worship. So once, once a year they would come for this Passover festival. There would be crowds from all over the place, tons of people everywhere, and they began taking the exchange, money exchangers and putting them in the temple area. Selling oxen and sheep for sacrifices. So people would travel from far away. They would have different kinds of money. What do you do? Well, I need to exchange my money. The, tax, the temple tax has to be paid in a certain kind of money. It's too far to bring my ox all the way from where I live, so I'll just purchase one right here. And then I'll make, give it over to the priest and make the sacrifice. The problem was not so much what they were doing. It was a needed service. It was where they were doing it. And what they had done, what they had done is turned what was meant to be a place of worship into a place of business. They had removed the Gentiles from their place of worship where they could come and worship and and pray to God. They had pushed them out. They had kept them from worshiping. And this was the time of all times to do it. Celebrating Passover. When God had saved His people from slavery in Egypt. We might look upon that and say, how could they do that? How could they turn worship into something that displeased God? 
How could they turn their worship into impurity, corruption, and yet consider all the ways that we mess up worship? Consider all the ways we mess up the pure worship of God. All the ways we defile true worship. Often we can become kind of connoisseurs of worship services. Do you know what that means, a connoisseur? Think of a food critic who goes to a restaurant and he takes note of the atmosphere, you know, how things, how's the, the drapery, how are the um, pictures hanging up on the wall, what's the atmosphere light, is, is the light dim to the right so, so that it makes me feel comfortable? How's the music playing, does it sound good? They t- take note of all these things and they set themselves in judgment over the restaurant, in order to give a review of it, they are connoisseurs of restaurants. They judge the, the flavor of the meal. Was it cooked right? Did it taste just right? And if we're not careful, we can become connoisseurs of church services. Did the lighting suit me right? I didn't like that too much. That wasn't to my taste. That didn't make me feel comfortable. I didn't enjoy that part of worship today. And you know, the, 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 the worship connoisseur can do all these things and see how things taste, but there's one thing the worship connoisseur cannot do. Do you know what that is? He can't worship. He can't worship. Because he's, been, he's become so consumed with how everything pleases him that he cannot focus on the one he is worshiping. He focuses on the elements of worship rather than the object of worship. This is one of the ways we do it. This is one of the ways we turn worship in on ourselves. But there's more. Did you know that your leaders can do this too? That your pastor can do this? That your pastor can turn worship into something impure? That your associate pastor and our music leaders, we can turn something, we can turn worship into something impure by thinking it's all about how we perform. By thinking it's all about, did I, did I play that well enough? Did I do that with enough excellence? Did I preach it well today? Did I do a good job? We, turn, we can turn worship in on ourselves and it becomes about us rather than God. Well, what about this? After you become a Christian for a while, it's so easy to turn worship into a cold routine. Where you just just something you come and do, and we have all these other distractions, right? If you're uh, a mother or father of young children, in the midst of uh, spanking in the mornings, trying to get your kids ready, you're frazzled, you don't know what's going on, and you come to worship and you just put on the happy face and pretend like you're able to worship. We just we go through the routine sometimes. We just go and do it because that's what we do. Or children, youth. Why do you come to worship? Why do you come to worship? Let us not continue to worship in impure ways. We mess it up all the time. We, we turn, actually what happens is we are turning, when we do all those things, we're turning our worship inward. Right? On what I desire, on what I like, on, on what I find pleasing. What's the key uh, word in all those phrases on what I think when we think when we think about it's our performance on what I do on how 
well I sing today, even if you're out in the congregation, on how well I do up here preaching or singing a song, what's the key word? I. It's all about me. When we turn worship in on ourselves, it becomes impure. And actually it becomes a mixture of worship of ourselves and worship of God. And this is what Jesus is zealous about cleaning up. This is why Jesus is so zealous that he makes a cord of whips and drives out the people and the animals. This is why he dumps coins all over the temple floor. This is why he flips tables over in the temple. Because he is zealous that God be worshipped with purity. But who is Jesus to tell us how to worship? Who, who is Jesus? What authority does he have to tell us how we should and shouldn't worship? That's what the Jews ask Jesus here. They come to Him. In verse, 9, uh, verse 18, they say, what sign can you give us to show why you're doing these things? Who said you can come and tell us what we can and can't do? Show us some miracle. Show us some sign. And then maybe we'll believe that you have the authority to tell us what to do. And in verse 9, Jesus basically says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Do you want a sign to show that I have authority, that I have power to regulate the worship in the temple? First of all, this is my Father's temple. Second of all, here's your sign. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. The Jews respond by saying, this temple has been being built for 46 years and you're going to destroy it and raise it up in three days, that is ridiculous. And you have to wonder, have you ever been with somebody and they, a friend of yours or something, they say something kind of weird and you're just kind of looking around like, okay, what? Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll build it up in three days. And you have to wonder if his disciples are like, oh, what do we get ourselves into? What are you saying here, Jesus? You're going to destroy this, this, this temple that's been being built for 46 years? Thankfully, John explains it to us in 21. They don't have this explanation here in the situation. His disciples, the Jews, they don't have this explanation to tell them what Jesus is talking about. But John explains he was talking about the temple of his body. The temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said. So they, they go through all, all out through his ministry of these three years and don't know what Jesus was talking about. After Jesus died and rose again. And Jesus had time to teach them how all the scriptures pointed to him. Then they recalled what he had said. He was talking about his body. He was talking about himself. John explains this to us and shows us that the disciples remembered and believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had, had spoken. See, all through the Old Testament, what we see is God working in such a way to meet with His people. So, think about the Garden of Eden. What was that except for communion with God? God meeting with Adam and Eve, His people. And then sin entered the picture and they were cast out of the Garden. They were cast out of God's presence. And yet in the Exodus, we, what do we see except God giving instructions for a tabernacle 
This will be a place where God will come down in the fire and in the cloud and meet with His people. See, although they have sinned, God makes provision so that He can meet with His people. And then God speaks to Solomon, David's son, King Solomon, and says, Okay, I want you to build for me a more permanent place where I will meet with my people. That's the temple. A beautiful, immaculate temple where God would meet with His people. And what Jesus is saying here is, I am the temple. I am the temple. These, all these other things, the tabernacle, even the garden, the temple, all of these things were never meant to be the final meeting place between God and man. They all point to me. What you need is not simply a clean temple. You need a new temple. What you need is not simply a physical location. You need a person. And Jesus says, I am that person. I am the meeting place between God and man. I am the ladder which comes down from heaven and brings God down to you. I am the place where sinful people can meet with a holy and almighty God. Jesus says, I am the temple. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. This temple is different. This temple is different. It's, it must be destroyed first before it can be built. And what Jesus is referring to is that the Jews would destroy Him. They would kill Him. But on the third day, Jesus would raise it up, speaking of His resurrection. Now notice this, and from our last week's passage too, from very early on, what is Jesus thinking about? There's no, there's no wine. The party's run out at the wedding. And Jesus' mother, Mary says, the wine has run out. And Jesus says, what does it have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What does Jesus mean, my hour has not yet come? You see, our minds drift to those things which are important. Our minds wander to those things that are pressing on our, on our hearts. And from very early on, Jesus' death was at the forefront of his mind. Here, two passages in a row, we see Jesus thinking about His death. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to die. And from this particular passage, we see Jesus came to die because of our impure, corrupted worship of God. This is why Jesus came, because we don't know how to worship God right. We worship idols. We worship Things of this earth that please us, that satisfy our selfish desires. We, we worship the creature rather than the creator. We worship the creation rather than the one who gives life to all things. This is why Jesus came. To die because of our impurity of worship. Because of our idolatry. He came to be destroyed because... Our worship isn't fit for a holy and pure God. And the truth of the matter is that we deserve to be driven out like the money changers. We, des- we deserve for Jesus to take a whip and drive us out of the presence of God. Just like happened to Adam and Eve. That's what we deserve. We deserve for Him to come in here right now, send us out because of our impure worship. He is holy. And we have sinned even when we seek to worship Him. 
But here Jesus says, Give me your corruption. Give me your impure worship. I'll take it into the temple of my body and here's what I'll do. I will destroy it all. He says, I will destroy your impurities, your corruptions. I'll take them all into the temple which is my body and I will destroy all of your sin. But it comes at a price. I myself will be destroyed along with it. This temple, Jesus says, this temple and all of your sin has been destroyed on my cross. It's gone. It's no more. It's vanished. Now simply receive this gift of my destruction and enter into the presence of my Father and worship Him. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you know what? If it weren't for this, God would not accept our worship. But because of this, He accepts even our impure worship. Jesus says, I'll take it. I'll destroy it as I am destroyed on the cross. Jesus' zeal for God's worship has accomplished this. He's passionate for the worship of God. He was so passionate that He took up the whip and drove the people out of the temple. Drove the impure practices out of the temple of His Father. And He was so zealous for God's worship that He took the whip upon His back. So that we could come into the presence of God and worship Him. So that worshipers could be welcomed to the throne of God in grace and in mercy. So you may ask a question. If Jesus is the temple, if Jesus is the temple where sinful man and holy God can meet, if Jesus is our only way to worship God in spirit and in truth, then where do we meet with God today? How can we meet with Him now? Jesus is raised from the dead, right? And He's ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. How can we, how can we worship God now that Jesus is so far away from us? Well, first, there are two answers that I want to give. First, there is a mysterious, mysterious way in which we are already in heaven with Jesus. Do you know that's how the Scripture speaks? A mysterious way in which we are already with Him. Ephesians 2.6 says that God has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. We're already there with Him in some sense. But also Colossians 3.1-4. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. Colossians 3.1-4. Colossians 3, 1-4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Did you hear that? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And until that day, until that day we gather together every week. We gather together every week on Sunday in honor of the Lord's resurrection from the dead. But we gather not simply for remembrance. 
Not simply to remember that Jesus rose from the dead. We gather together not simply for education so that we can learn the Scriptures. So can we, we can learn about God and Jesus our Savior. Not simply to get stirred up in our emotions. Not simply to learn moral lessons and how we can have a better life. Not so we can get tips on Christian living. We gather together to meet with God. If we, could, if we could understand this, I think if we could change this, it would change our worship in so many ways. Did you come here this morning thinking, I, I a sinful human, am, am coming together with other Christians, with other sinful humans, to meet with God, to hear from Him. God promises to meet with His people as we gather together. We have gathered together to meet with God and Christ is present with us. Don't lose, don't lose thought of the spiritual realities around us. That Christ is meeting with us. He is meeting with us in word and in prayer. He comes to us in His word. As His word is proclaimed, He is addressing us. And we speak back to Him in words of thanks and praise. He's meeting with us now. He, he has spoken to us this morning. And what we should consider, will I receive it? Will I receive the Word which Christ has spoken to me? But not like those, those who saw the signs and believed, as we see that that was a false belief. It was an impure belief. But like His disciples, how did they see? How did they see and understand? How do we see and understand? We see with our ears. We hear the Scripture which Christ proclaims to us. We hear the Word of Christ and we believe. We receive it.